Hey, Matty. What are we talking about today? The Wuhan virus. I don't think it's called that. Uh, the novel coronavirus. No, I don't think it's called that either. SARS? Nope. Um, COVID-19. Uh, well, I think that's the disease that it manifests. I think the virus itself is called SARS-CoV-2. Okay. But I don't think the WHO, not the band, I don't think the World Health Organization likes that name because it's too similar to SARS. So I think they just like to call it COVID-19, the disease, and the COVID-19 virus. And that's what we're talking about today. All right. Welcome everybody to another episode of Dr. Matt and Dr. Mike's medical podcast. Today, we're talking about the coronavirus. Obviously, this is something on everybody's mind and I think it's worth discussing some important points. Today, we're going to go- and we're in lockdown at the moment in my house. Well, we're not actually in lockdown, but we are in It could be house. by the end of the week. Potentially. We'll see how things go. Um, we're just going to see- Which room do you want to be locked in? Locked in? Uh, probably my room at my <laughs> own home would be good, thanks. Um, we're going to talk about brief background- so where and when it began, we're going to talk about what it is. So different types of coronaviruses, especially ones that are around currently, how it works, how it's transmitted from one person to another, what the symptoms are. We're going to conf- compare it to the flu, SARS and MERS. We're going to go through some stats. So current stats as of today, which is the uh, 16th of March, 2020. We're going to talk about the interventions, quarantine and testing. And then we're going to talk about what you can do because the biggest way to change this is through you. All right. As a listener, as a person, we can change this and make it not as bad. So, Matt, let's talk about a brief background. So, this, now, I think we should just call it COVID-19. <clears throat> um, that wasn't a cough. It that was just like me it. <laughs> clear in my throat. Um, as a preface, I want to just say, at least from my behalf, I'm not a virologist or an infection control um, expert. So, what we're talking about today is just kind of synthesizing information that's provided by um, health authorities and also um, journal articles. That's right. So, so we've done our best. Yes, that's right. And we are now, it's bound to change. 16th of March is today. Stats are changing daily, and I'll tell you about some changes in stats shortly. So, you know, um, the one of the best places to get your information would be from the WHO or your local uh, health authority. Yep. Now, brief background, where and when it began... So as far as I'm aware, this particular strain of coronavirus began in China, specifically in an area called Wuhan, um, in 2019, at the end of 2019. Now, they stated December, but it seems like the evidence now states that the first case of pneumonia from the virus was in November. Yeah. So we think that it's coming from Wuhan. Now, mm-hmm. whereabouts in Wuhan? Well, I think Wuhan is the city. Gotcha. I'll be wrong here, but I think Wuhan is the city and it has a, it's a, a sizable city. But it sits in a province, which I don't actually have on the top of my head. Hubei. There you go, Hubei. Yep. So um, it's it was thought, or it's thought that it originated in a wet market. Um, so a bunch of animals. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll get to the different types of corona in a second. Is there anything else you wanted to talk about when it first sprang up? Well, I just think um, it is important to say that it came from an animal to human. Okay, all right. Well, 
we'll, we'll, we'll talk about corona then as a general term. Yeah. So, so corona just means crown. So this is a Latin term meaning crown. Now, it would be named accordingly to its morphology. So if you were to look at this virus under a whoa, what electron. Electron, electron microscope, yeah. you would see it has a, a fat envelope similar to our membrane, which is a, a fatty membrane, a fatty cover. And it is um, embedded with these kind of spikes, which make it look like a crown. And they're it's, proteins. And they're proteins. Um, and so there's a whole family of coronaviruses. Now, they seem to have a, a, an animal reservoir, which are bats. So all coronaviruses seem to sit within bats. I, I, I believe so, as a reservoir. So that means coronaviruses are what we call zoonotic. So yeah. they can go from animal to human and vice versa. So it basically can be transmitted between humans and animals. And like you said, beginning in bats, or maybe not beginning, but there is a reservoir, consistent reservoir in bats, yep. but can be transmitted to other animals. For example, this current coronavirus. Yeah. So the different coronaviruses that are known to infect humans, there's four different strains of the common cold. Yes. Okay. And they're named... Which is a coronavirus. Like yeah. alpha, maybe beta. Uh, and then there's two more newer forms of corona, and this was known as SARS. Yep. So... Severe acute, is it yep. acute respiratory syndrome? That's right. That's what it kind of causes. And then there's the MERS, which is the Middle Eastern respiratory syndrome. Correct. Now this is the the newer one, so this is why it was initially called novel corona. But novel meaning new is probably a poor term because if it, another one comes and it's not new anymore, right? Yeah. Um. So they've changed the name um, to COVID nineteen, which is not really um, related to a people, a location, an animal. It's just the type of virus and when it first manifested. That's right. It's the 19. And the reason why they call it, you know, SARS-CoV-2 is because genetically it looks like the SARS, the first SARS virus. Okay. Um, uh, and CoV because it's coronavirus. Yeah. Two because it's the second type of the SARS. But a lot of authorities don't like this. And the D was disease, right? Yes. Yeah. Um, and so a lot of people don't like this because it sort of insinuates that it is SARS, but it's not. It's something novel. It is something novel yeah. and new that we haven't seen before. And so for SARS-1, it went from the reservoir being the bats into civets, which is a type of cat, mm. then into humans. Yeah. For, for MERS, it went from the reservoir of bats into camels, then into humans. Yep. And then for this particular one, it's thought that it's gone from bats into pangolins. Pangolins. Which is kind of like a scaly anteater. Yep. Into humans. And that was thought... To at first originated at that wet market in Wuhan. And we don't know whether it came from particulate drops from the respiratory system or through ingestion yeah. because we have found uh, viral particles within fecal material of people who don't manifest gastrointestinal symptoms. So um, we don't know how it moved through that way. Yeah. I suppose it doesn't really matter because we now know it is transmitted through droplets and particles yeah. and potentially through uh, fecal oral transmission, which we'll get through yeah. shortly. And I think... Um, the the start of it in Wuhan was a direct transmission from the animal, mm. and it took to a certain point until it became human human. Yeah, yeah. All right. So, how does it work? So we get this virus. Let's say we inhale this virus, or we get some droplets into our nasal cavity or mouth. Uh, where does it go? What's it want to do? So very simply, the virus is a fat envelope, which is it's got a membrane around it, similar to our membrane. So it's just. Uh, Surrounded by fat. Yeah. Oh. It has these spikes in it, which are proteins. There's different types. 
and they do different things. But one of the most important one is an S protein, which seems to lock onto our respiratory cells. So when it comes down your respiratory tract. So how far down? Because we've got the back of our throat, we've got our trachea, bronchi, bronchioles, and the actual tissue in our lungs. How far down? Well, I'm not 100% sure, but it seems to bind onto a receptor called the ACE2 receptor, which stands for angiotensin converting enzyme 2 Which receptor. I think is... More lung. Yeah, so, more lung. So this is right at the bottom. Yep. But it wouldn't surprise me if it has the ability to lock into higher respiratory cells and then do its business and then drop down further. Yeah. So I wouldn't be surprised by that. But it seems that the S protein can lock into the ACE2 protein and then once it does that, it kind of engages with our own cell membrane. Now, this type of virus is a RNA virus. So it has a strand of RNA inside it, which, which is its genetic material. So all viruses are basically fatty envelopes filled with DNA. And they hide or, or, yeah, genetic material. So DNA or RNA, I yeah. think, depends on the type of virus. But this one's RNA. And they hijack our system just to make more copies of their DNA. They get our body to read their DNA and produce their proteins and produce more of their viruses to continue propagation. Yeah. So that's how they replicate is by using us to make more of them. Yeah. So is this virus the same? Yeah, so very simply, uh, in our cells, we have our nucleus, which is filled with DNA. And uh, along the DNA code, we have certain segments, which is called genes. And if we want to make a protein, give me an example of a protein we might want to make just normally. Uh, we might want to make a transcription factor that reads more DNA. Give something a bit more common that people would know. Oh, okay. Uh, a, let's, let's say, say a, a, a protein to make your hair color black. Okay. Melanin. All right. So you want to make that protein. Now, there's a, a, section, a section of your DNA that would need to get expressed to code for that. And so the DNA just splits apart. It's That part of the DNA is red, which is the gene. And when it reads it, it spits out a molecule called RNA. Mm-hmm. Now, the RNA moves, that particular RNA that's for that gene, moves out of the nucleus into your um, cytoplasm, let's just say, to make it simple. And then we have certain machinery, in this case, a ribosome that reads that um, RNA, and then your protein's made. Okay. Okay? And then you've got something functional. Yeah, that's right. right. Now, what this virus does is it puts the RNA into your cell, and your body, or so your cell can't d- distinguish that that's a foreign RNA molecule. So it doesn't know whether you've made it or someone else has made it. That's right. It. And it wouldn't think something else has made it because yeah. it makes no sense. So it just reads it yep. makes like it normally would and makes a protein. And that protein will assemble into the virus. Wait, the, the protein it makes is what we call an RNA polymerase, which is an enzyme to keep reading that that RNA molecule. Ah, right. Okay. So it okay, so, so it the basically, first protein that it makes yeah. is an RNA polymerase. So it's like making all the tool, tools to build a house so it can just build more houses that's, itself. That's right. And so then that RNA polymerase just reads the RNA, but backwards the opposite way. Yep. And when it does that, all it's doing is just manufacturing its own proteins. Well, so if it's read one way... It makes the tools that's right. that can read it in the opposite way Correct. that then makes more viruses. Yes, that's right. And then those viruses, what, what do they do? And so really, amazingly, the, the proteins that it makes, remember the ones that make the crown? Yeah. That just, it just pumps those out. Okay. And all these just slot along that cell's membrane, your own cell's membrane. Oh. So now your cell is just filled on the outside with these Viral spikes. proteins. And then at, kind of at the same time, it just starts manufacturing its the same RNA that it first puts in, so just duplicates it, photocopies it. Copy, 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 copy. And as it's doing this, 
that RNA goes to the surface of your membrane and just pops off another a new virus, new virus, new virus, new virus, new virus, new virus. And this just happens over and over and over and over again. Wow. So you started with one virus cell and then just from that one cell that got taken millions. over, millions are made. And so does this then mean that, so then the cells... And while it's doing this, before you experience a symptom, this is what we call the incubation period. While it's producing these viruses. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so let's now say, for but example... You're, but you are contagious at this point. Okay. Because as you're making this, you have the ability to then just expel it out your respiratory tract to anyone. So the cells that line our respiratory system make mucus as well, yeah. which means that the mucus you produce in your respiratory tract will contain the virus. Yes. And if this is sneezed or coughed out, yep. it contains the virus, which can then infect somebody else and yes. do the exact same thing. So if you if I cough all over you as I'm shedding, because yep. this is called shedding, then you've got a huge likelihood of then getting that virus put into you. Whereas if I cough onto a surface, then if you somehow put your hand on that surface at a later date, then you could put it into your mouth or your eyes or your nose and then it could infect you. So that's the major uh, method of transmission yeah. is coughing, yeah. sneezing, uh, droplets of sputum, sputum yeah. basically. Yeah. Aerosol. Aerosol um, and also landing on objects, going onto your hands, touching somebody else, somebody touching objects that are contaminated with it. Yeah. So And that's the primary transmission method. Yeah. And just... Sorry, as, as a slide, a slight side point, it seemed that if you were to get inoculated, so um, these aerosols, polluted aerosols, onto you, it's it it appears at least from the data in China, if you get a big inoculation, so a big load in one go, your likelihood of a more severe severe case is a lot higher. So the, all the doctors, all the health professionals in Wuhan at the time that got sneezed, coughed splattered on while they're trying to let's say put airways in or intubate or bag them and they were just coughed upon then they were more likely to get a severe form of it opposed to if i just say coughed onto a surface mm. and then you just introduced a few so viral load seems to matter yeah. okay for severity at least all right so when it comes to the symptoms then so somebody has picked up it from the surface being coughed on or whatever it may be um, the symptoms seem to be that most individuals get a fever. I think up to 90% of people manifest with a fever. And do you know how long we're looking before the symptoms come out? Great point. So let's just say you touch a surface. It's got a virus on it. You put that surface into your mouth or touch a mucosal layer, nose, eyes, whatever it may be. It seems to be, one, the virus can last on shiny or metallic or smooth surfaces for up to nine days. That's probably best scenario. That's right? best scenario for that virus, right? Worst scenario for us, but best scenario for that virus. But usually, I would say on average, a day under normal conditions. Mm. Um, once it's in your body, it seems to be about five days that it incubates okay, before so you manifest your symptoms. So what I what I just explained, yeah, that's the incubation period from when the first cell um, hijacks, yeah, to the point when the first symptom comes about. That's right. Okay. Yeah, around about five days, but it can be. But you are contagious. Yes, so it yes. can be up to 14 days before you manage your symptoms. Well, one of the reasons why 14-day quarantine. Um, but you can be contagious up to 48 hours prior to you presenting with symptoms. Yeah. So this is one of the reasons why when you have a look at people who have just been diagnosed uh, or they ask you, when have your symptoms started? And they tend to trace back, at least this is what they're doing where we are living in Queensland, they're tracing back 48 hours to people you may come in contact with and places that you may have been. 
Okay. Because of inf- so which what that means is you pick it up from a surface. Two, you're probably not infectious f- for two days, but you are probably infectious for the next 48, 72 hours before you present with symptoms. Yeah. Then you have symptoms which can last two weeks, right? Mm-hmm. Up to 20 days. Uh, and then after that, um, the, the idea is your viral shedding should diminish after those two weeks. However, there's some evidence that you can virally shed for up to a month. Yeah, it's amazing. Right? So you can virally shed basically from day three to day 30. And just with that, I spoke to a clinician and they said, yes, by far the, the, the type of viral shedding it will be from the respiratory tract. But like you said earlier, you can then infect your gastrointestinal tract yeah. and you can virally shed rectally. Yes, so this right. is and this is where some people can get infected through fecal oral route, I guess. Which is one of the reasons why if you're sick and you don't know if you've got it or not, um, use one particular bathroom if you can that other people within your house can't use. Yep. All right. All right. Now, if we compare this to other types of coronaviruses or even the flu, for example, I think it's worth doing, and it's not to diminish this. It's not to do direct comparisons of cases or fatality ratios or anything. It's about perspective, but it's also to highlight probably the severity of what we're approaching, right? And I think it's also just important that we only have, to to note here, that we only have really three months of data. Mm. So this is changing literally every day, right? Okay, so so give us the stats for today. As of the 16th of March... Globally, what? How many people have been diagnosed? So this doesn't mean how many people have it. It's just how many people have been diagnosed through formal testing. So we currently sit at one hundred seventy thousand four hundred twenty-five globally. Globally, and how many? So we don't talk about death rates. We talk about case fatality ratios because it's ever changing. So it's a ratio. So okay. what is the case? Fa- how many people have died, and then we can talk about case fatality ratio. Um, Six thousand five hundred six individuals. Okay, so what that brings it to just going off those stats is around about 3.7-3.8% case fatality ratio. Mm. Now last week when we were on ABC Radio which is nearly seven days ago um, the stats were 109,577 cases. So 61,000 more. Yep. And 3,809 deaths. So it's doubled. Yes. And it's still around about the 35 Three to three point five case fatality ratio. It seems to be that that's where this CFR case fatality ratio sits for this disease is around about three point four percent. So that's three point four percent of people statistically have passed away of from infections. Okay, so if you were infected with this particular virus, three point four persons out of a hundred potentially will die from it. That's right. Now, if we compare this to the flu. From the last flu season. So there's a number of... It's ca- influenza. Influenza. It's uh, important to just to note here because a lot of people get this mixed up. Flu means influenza. It doesn't mean the common cold. Oh, yeah. Common cold is a coronavirus. Or Inf- it can be. Influ- yes, true. Influenza is not. Yeah. Um, now, influenza is a serious uh, type of virus, mm. a seasonal virus. That's right. And so the flu every flu season, or let's just say last flu season, 650,000 people died from the flu worldwide. Say that again? 650,000 people worldwide died last flu season, which is a lot, okay? But a lot of people are saying, well, that many people died and we didn't, 
you know, we haven't done the yeah. same measures. Yeah. But now think about this. Uh, the flu, there's this infection rate, right, called the R0 or RO, which is basically on average if you got it, in a perfect world where yeah. ev- everyone is susceptible, how many people are you likely to give it to? And oh, so if you're infected, how many people would you pass it on to? On average. Okay. And for the this flu... Is the, this is the R0 or the R0. Yeah, so for the flu, it's 1.3. But for the coronavirus, it's 2 to 2.5. So for the flu, influenza? 1.3 people. And for this one? 2 to 2.5. Okay. So you're likely to be give it to twice as many people. So basically what this R0 means, if it was below 1, that particular virus would just die out. Yeah, okay? a given time. If it's 1, it may survive, but it's not really increasing in number. Yeah. But if it's above... a one, you know, as you're approaching two, that's almost like it's doubling. Yeah, so we've got two to 2.5 for this, for this COVID-19. So considering 650,000 people died worldwide last flu season and it has a R0 of 1.3, COVID is two to 2.5, so more yeah. infectious. And I've got a couple of other ones here if you want me to say. In it. a second. Okay. The case fatality ratio for the flu is 0.1% and the case fatality ratio for COVID-19 is 3.4. So it's twice as infectious and 10 times more deadly, Okay. which means that if we use the current numbers for the flu, 650,000, it is not outside of reason to suspect that millions of people this season will potentially die of COVID-19. This isn't why it's quite severe. We'll talk about risk populations shortly, but let's talk about some other diseases with R0 R- 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 values. Yep. Okay, so you said the flu, which is 1.3. COVID-19, which is this one we're talking about, is 2 to 3.5. Yep. Okay. So I said 2 to 2.5. Yeah. Um, SARS-1 is between was, was between 3 and 4. Yep. So that was in 2003, I think. Okay. Now, if you go to the Spanish flu, which this COVID-19 is being compared to at this early point. Okay. That killed potentially up to 50 million people. Wow. It's R naught was between 1.4 and 2.8. Okay. Okay. Ebola was two. Yep. Okay. Now, just for perspective, Ebola, its case fatality ratio mm. was 60%. Whoa. 60% of people, six out of 10 Who people got, yeah. died. And then the highest, one of the highest infections as, with an R naught is measles, which is between 12 and 8. So that would suggest if you had measles, if you were working in a, a naive, naive population, 12 to 18 people would get it from, yeah. from you. Okay. But luckily, the, the R0 can be heavily reduced by vaccination. And we have vaccinations for measles and the flu. That's right. right? And mitigating methods of transmission. So this is why we're starting to see countries and authorities do certain things like quarantining removing mass gatherings and so forth. Yes. So I think maybe this is, are there any other stats you wanted to discuss or can we start talking about interventions and quarantine and testing? I think it's time. I was just giving some different examples there. Cool. So I think the take-home message here is that um, we're only in the first couple of months of this new virus. We don't have a vaccine for this new virus. It's spreading very quickly. How long do you think it's predicted? Yeah, uh, probably best next year best case 12 to 18 months end of next year i'd say because it obviously needs to be produced needs to be tested 
then it needs to be mass produced and then delivered. So I'd say end of next year. The good thing is it seems to be that uh, this virus doesn't mutate significantly. So whatever vaccine we produce should be stable enough to be able to knock at least a good majority of it on the head. Now people say, well, what about the flu vaccine? Flu vaccine is 70% effective, which is great, which is why we only have 650,000 people dying, right? And not higher. So again, without a vaccine, this current season, it can get pretty nasty. And this is why we now need to talk about interventions, quarantines, testings, and then we can talk about what you can do. I think the one thing you forgot to mention, we did allude to it, were the symptoms. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So the symptoms include fever, which I said 90% of people tend to manifest. So that's a common, most common symptom. So obviously anything above... And that's fairly non-specific. Yes. So, you know, above 37.5, you'd be thinking uh, a fever consistently. Um, and that would probably depend on how you're taking the temperature because there's difference between peripheral and core temperature, but we'll, we'll, that's a separate issue. You usually know when you have a fever too. Okay. Um, cough. So a dry cough is quite common. Um, sore throat less common so the two most common is dry cough and fever fatigue fatigue and sore throat uh, all these are uh, can be present but around about less than 50 percent of cases present with um, sore throat and fatigue and myalgia so cough and fever are the two big ones the other thing is you know at the moment at least in australia we're looking at people who have been in contact with people who've known to have it yep um, or people who've traveled overseas. But maybe if, if you're somewhere around the world where it is spread quite extensively, um, just the symptoms itself could potentially warrant you getting tested. Yeah, I think um, either yesterday or Saturday, I looked at Australian stats and I think we were sitting at about 250 people had tested positive. Yes. About 138 to 140 had um, been in contact with people traveling. Or had themselves travelled. Yeah, and there was about 50 who... Unexplained. Um, no, transmission locally. Okay. So that's now suggesting that it's spreading in Australia. Yeah. And then 50 that were unknown. Okay. All right. So it's starting to suggest that it's taken hold. Yeah, absolutely. Now, testing. So how do we test for this? What's the current testing methods? Well... I would imagine the most specific test is the swab, the nasal or the oral swab, which what I'm guessing how it would work is essentially it there would be a like a, almost like a cotton bud with a long stem. Yeah. Or I guess it's correct. Put it up your nose or back of your mouth, take it out, and then they do a genetic test for the virus's genome. And if it's present there it's suggestive that you are infected with that virus. So taking a swab from deep within the nasal cavity or the back of the throat and a sputum test as well. So this is being able to produce some spit, sorry, produce some um, mucus from the lungs. seems to be that doing both is going to be most beneficial to a positive test uh, for sensitivity's sake. seems to be that uh, coughing something up is the best way. It's far more specific then uh, getting it from the back of the throat, so the pharynx, nasopharynx area. Um, they're the two ways that they usually do it, yep. and, they, and they basically confirm one another. So this is, as I said, the most specific, um, but so this would be the most specific test, but, but the problem is, or at least what they demonstrated in China, if you're in the early phase of your um, infection, you may not be producing enough 
yeah. um, secretions for it to be sensitive enough. Yeah, I think it's um, 60% sensitive for the cough sputum production and only 40 to 50% for the naso swab. Yeah. So do you want me to talk about the other, the most sensitive test? Yeah. So in China, at least, they did a study of at least 1,000 people and they found that the most sensitive test, at least in the early phase, was actually a chest CT, so mm. a CAT scan of the chest. And what that shows relatively early on in your infection period is you'll have lung changes, so certain changes on the image to suggest you are starting to produce pneumonia-like um, changes in your lung. And this is what's important because what ends up killing people is the pneumonia that they develop ultimately um, because the pneumonia basically stops the lungs from being a take on board oxygen and throw it into the bloodstream. So people, shortness of breath, right, is a very is one of the common symptoms too. Fever, coughing, shortness of dyspnea. breath. Yeah, dyspnea. Which would be suggested a bit, a bit later, but yeah. But what this, uh, so people can't get enough oxygen and then they need to get oxygen through intensive care units. And so the issue that's cropping up at the moment is the fact that too many people are coming in requiring oxygen through this method and there's not enough intensive care units to mm. satisfy the need. And so what that means is certain people don't get the intervention, that the they intervention require. that's required and pass away. Yeah. And now if there's uh, you know two individuals coming in, maybe a 70-year-old and a 40-year-old. And this seems to be the case in Italy. Potentially the 40-year-old would be um, triaged. triaged while the 40-year-old will be looked after. Um, because it's not an easy decision, but it's a decision they need to make. One of the two need to be looked at, looked at because they've got limited resources. And this seems to be one of the major reasons why countries that are inundated are suffering such high fatality rates because of this reason. This yeah. is why what we're trying to do now is you don't want this curve of infection to just spike up exponentially. You want to flatten the curve. That's what everyone keeps talking about, flatten the curve. And what that means is we've got a, minim- a lot of... A kind of quarantine point and you would be then swabbed with, yeah. the, with the PCR. Yeah. Okay. Now, if you were positive for that, you were then taken to another separate quarantine, which may be like a hotel room. Yeah. And you would be kept in there potentially up to 14 days until you weren't infectious anymore. But if you need an intervention, health in- intervention, I guess you'd then go to a One of the health facility. clinics that they produce. So, um, And by doing this, you're mitigating because as we said, um, potentially maybe... I'm going to guess a number, 20-30% people may have such mild symptoms they wouldn't even know they had it. Potentially. And so they're going back out into society and infecting others. And this is an example of where South Korea did really well because they broadly screened. So when other countries had only done maybe a couple of hundred or a couple of thousand, not even a couple of thousand, maybe a thousand, yeah. they'd already done 200,000 yeah, tests. and so they were able to hit on the head. So they were able to see, well, big percentages are actually infected, but they wouldn't have known they had it. So it, or at we least can not then, yet. We can then isolate them and take them out of the community to stop further spread. The hard thing is uh, the kits required for testing is limited, obviously. Yep. And so um, the reason why, at least in the early stages for Australia, for example, they'll only test individuals who have been overseas um, in the last 14 days or have been in contact with somebody 
and and this isn't because they're being blasé. It's because they have limited tests, and we need to um, limit the use of the test and use it most wisely. I think if we had the num, you know, a good number of these kits available, would be testing as many people as possible. Now, obviously, South Korea was hit early, so probably was able to get its hands. Well, it was actually hit of- almost the same time as Italy. Yeah, and they paralleled for a long time. Yeah. But then one shot up and one kind of has flattened. Yeah, so there's like very... Like you spoke about. And that, that's a good example mm. of what happens when you flatten the curve. Yeah, exactly. And so um, you're looking at these peaks. So China has passed its peak. So new cases per day, at least what they've stated coming out of China, is, you know, f- five new cases a day. You know, they're closing down temporary hospitals that they've built because they've, they've passed their peak. Now... Um, Italy hasn't. Italy is, is still peaking at the moment. Uh, I think there was 2,500 new cases just in the last 24 hours, which is huge. America's still on the rise. Um, Europe is still significantly on the rise, and Australia is in its early stages of rising up and will probably peak in the next few months, you know, one, one to three months. Um, now, this is the thing. We can't emphasise m- more that every single person can actually do something to help. You can literally save lives right now by doing very simple things. And these very simple things are washing your hands with soapy water. Why is that? Because you brought up the fact that the virus is covered in fat and fat hates soap and it literally sheds that fatty layer off the virus. It is the best. Or breaks it up. It breaks it up. It's the best method we have for getting rid of it. Now, most, most of these types of diseases are spread from the hand to the mouth. Wash your hands consistently, consistently, before meals, after meals, before interactions, after interactions. I know that it's not always feasible, but you need to wash your hands with soapy water. It doesn't have to be, you know, the 99.9% kill-off so bacteria soap. It, it just needs to be soapy water. wouldn't be helpful there, would it? Um, so let's just say you don't have soapy water. Yep. Is there any other material or substance so you can use? Hand sanitizers are useful. They're not as good as soapy water. I'm going to say that. It needs to be a minimum of 60% alcohol to be useful. And we always like put a little five cent piece or dime drop on our palm, but the who actually states you need a significant like palm sized bit and rubbed significantly through the hand. The problem is... So your whole hand is saturated. Whole hand is saturated with it, with the gel. And the thing is, it doesn't clean your hand. It can inactivate viruses on the hand. But nothing comes off, right? So it's not even as close to being as good with soapy water because oh, okay. the rubbing with the soapy water and then the rinsing under the water, warm water, better. The warmer the water, the better. Um, if you've got dirty hands, your hands remain dirty with the hand sanitizer, yeah, yeah. right? But if it's the only thing you got, that's better what you than nothing. it's better than nothing, all right? So basically to reiter- reiterate, both for the, um, the soap and the sanitizer, a big part of it is not only the substance but the mechanical action of you rubbing your hand and touching every part of your hand, fingers, That's thumbs, right. yeah. nails. Yes, clean under the nails, clean between the fingers, behind the hand, around the thumbs, and it takes, you need to do it for about 20 seconds minimum okay. when you wash your hands. So sing happy birthday twice or just count to 20, <laughs> right? And make sure that you do this. This is so, like, just doing this will literally save lives. I know it sounds silly, but if you wash your hands, Let's say, just wash your hands three times more often than you currently do, right? You've got to do it. Yeah. Now, and, and avoid touching the T-zone. What's that? I'm the 
What? You're the T-man. Oh, that's right. What's the, the T-zone? Oh, I think it's just between your eyes, nose and mouth. Yeah. Just try. And, look, it's nearly impossible. We touch our face minimum of 20 times an hour. So try not to touch your face. It's not going to happen. Be mindful of touching your face. Um, but if you wash your hands, it's not going to be an issue. Now, if you need to take public transport, this is difficult because one of the other things you need to do is social distancing. Minimum of 1.5 metres. I'm good with that. Yes. <laughs> I don't have any friends. No, that's right. <laughs> so l- say something offensive to all your friends so they don't want to see you. Keep your distance. No large so- uh, gatherings. No unnecessary meetings. Don't go to the football. Well, it's right? in Australia, we're down to 500 max, right? I still think that's ridiculous. Mm. I still, I'm not going to wait for the government to tell me not to attend certain things because they're going to weigh up ec- economy versus health. That's just a personal opinion, so I'm not going to wait. Um, so, you know, f- in my eyes, uh, schools should be closed. Universities should be closed. Um, I'm not... Are you doing your lecture on online? Lecture online? Yep. This week, yeah. That's right. So, why, you know, if we can minimise the spread, minimise the spread, my students can learn online. Yep. If you listen to this podcast, it demonstrates you're learning online. All right. So, social distancing. Washing hands. What else is there? Not touching face. That's, they're, they're the main things. Okay, what do you do if you suspect you may be infected? Okay, so if you think you've been infected and you tick those signs and symptoms, don't go out. Minimize contact with other people. Call your local health authority yep. or your local GP. Don't just go to the doctor. Call them up first and talk to them. They can either tell you what to do next yep. or they will direct you mm. to another line that you can call. So there, is, there are various health lines that you can call up and you'll talk to them about your symptoms and about your history. And if they think it's uh, significant enough to move on to the next stage, they will tell you. And they'll either tell you to go to a particular location or they will come to you depending on where you are located. So, so I think just- in Queensland we have fever clinics now, which are just separate sections in the hospital that will... Just be focusing on this. But you call prior. Yeah. Call prior. I think, in, I think in Australia or at least Queensland, it's 13 health. Yes. 13 health is the Queensland number that we call. Um, and you can just call and ask. At the moment, if you haven't been in contact with somebody that you know uh, and you haven't traveled overseas, it's likely they won't test you and they'll tell you to stay home and quarantine yourself. Um, if your symptoms get worse, significantly worse, then that's when you start to go seek that medical help directly but you can always call up and ask so i think you will definitively i looked at a this is what i want to finalize with there might be another point you want to finalize with but i looked at a curve which that an epidemiologist produced showing the current trajectory and if we were to mitigate one case transmission through social distancing it already started to flatten out the curve right so here in australia and anywhere else, if you can work from home, work from home. If you don't need to go to school, don't go to school. If there's parties and gatherings, you apologize and not turn up. If you can do these things and keep your distance, wash your hands, don't touch your face and so forth, you will save lives and you'll flatten the curve, which means your local healthcare system will be able to deal with it. Mm. And that's what we want. We're not going to stop this thing. We can mitigate it in the short term. And we can lessen its impact. We need to take control of the virus, not let the virus take control of us. That's a good 
parting message. Thanks, Matt. So have we ticked off all the points that we said we're going to cover? Yeah, background, what it is, how it works, transmissions, symptoms. We compared it to other viruses. We spoke about stats, intervention, quarantine, um, testing, and what you can do, which is the most important part. It's it's ever-changing. It's changing literally by the hour. There is a great podcast, which we're going to plug, called CoronaCast from the- uh, Norman Swan. Norman Swan, Dr. Norman Swan, Australian, but they do a 10-minute update every day. So have a look at CoronaCast. Thanks, Matt. Bye-bye.